not winning 90% of your new business because you have some sort of incredible value. I'm gonna take a bit of a different angle. You know, I've got a budget this big. I'm gonna give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a Red Bull to a turtle, what do you expect? <laughs> I think that's a dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to... Uh, Be break. Cheers. 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 Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Insurance Pint Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Reed, and as always, I'm joined by my colleagues, Adam El Chapo Mitchell, CEO of Mitch Insurance. Hello. Jeff Roy, the Guidewire end user, CEO of Excalibur Insurance. Hey, Pinters. And Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance. Good day. And today we are very pleased to be having with us from Guidewire, Amy Mullen. She's the VP Product Management for Applications there. Amy, thanks very much for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. So we are um, going to start off with our speed round. Jeff's going to take us through that just to get to know Amy a little bit better. So, Jeff. I'll pass the talk and stick over to you. Amy, great to see you again. It's been a couple of months since uh, we chatted at IBAC Technology. Now, you're from California, correct? Correct. I've lived in California my entire life. Do you have any favorite Canadian musicians or bands? Oh, my goodness. There is there is this Canadian country band um, that has this really great song, The Truck Got Stuck. And I'm totally blanking on the name of the band. If you ask my husband, he would totally he would totally know who they were. Um, but we listen to kind of, we listen to a lot of country music in my household, and those guys are great. So I will say I just looked it up, and that is Corb Lund and the Hurt and Albertans. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Oh, Amy, what do you do in your spare time when you're not changing the world with software? I <laughs> uh, so a couple different things. We like to we live up in uh, Tahoe, California, so up in the mountains. So we do a lot of kayaking and mountain biking and hiking in the summer. Um, and then in the winter, we ski and we snowshoe, as one would expect, I suppose. And then our other part-time, I guess, job is our daughter is a pretty serious ski racer. And so we uh, we travel all around the West Coast of the United States, through Colorado and in Europe, kind of chasing her around and watching her, her race. Uh, no, when you're uh, up in the mountains, do you have a favorite beverage of choice? Well, that's a really, really hard question. I really think it depends on the context of what you're doing. Um, often when you're done outside mountain biking or skiing or whatever, um, a beer, there's nothing There's nothing better than a nice beer sitting there. Um, but I will say that a beautiful mountain sunset and a nice glass of red wine are to be as well. So really just depends on what we're doing. Hey, I'm glad you got two answers because insurance people have their their primary and their go their go-to and their backup, so it's all good. Uh, now, are you an Android or iPhone user? Now what any what's your tell our listeners what's the last app you downloaded or if you don't usually download apps very often what book are you reading right now? Uh, the book I'm reading is called The Thursday Murder Club. Uh, it's I'm I'm like ten percent of the way through it, so I I don't really know that much about it, but it's like a kind of a murder mystery book. Uh, 
set in a retirement home, actually, um, which is kind of odd in England. But, you know, uh, like to like to dabble in, in different kinds of books. And last question, if, if you could go anywhere for a, on a trip with your family, where would you go? Uh, so we, uh, we've been talking about this, actually. My daughter doesn't have a lot of time in between training and all of that. And we've been talking about where we want to go for the next family vacation. Um, definitely somewhere in the Caribbean or the South Pacific. We're definitely a get out of Dodge and go find warm water and nice sand kind of family. Um, there's a lot of options between those. Uh, so I don't know that we have one specific, but definitely we are warm water, sun, and sand kind of people when we go. Amy, thanks for the answers. Well, thank you, Amy. Uh, that's a lot about you. How about you tell us about your career and how you wound up at Guidewire and that sort of thing. So the, the not the personal Amy, the working Amy. Tell us about that. Yeah, of course. Um, so after I graduated from school, I spent a few years in consulting um, with Anderson Consulting at the time, which dates me a little bit. Um, and then I, I knocked around in an operations and, and mathematical research firm, um, did some fun projects there, but then ended up at another startup in the Valley at the time. Um, called Crossworld Software. And that's really where I started my career in enterprise software, if you will. So spent some time there, a couple other enterprise software firms, and then finally moved to Guidewire um, just about 13 years ago, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Um, at the time, Guidewire was still pretty small, was pre-IPO. Um, I actually started out as a individual contributor PM working on the Guidewire platform. Um, and then over time, just kind of stuck around. And I've had three or four different iterations of jobs uh, within Guidewire. But at some point, I realized that I've been either directly the PM or have led the team that's responsible for product management for just about every product in the Guidewire portfolio. I think science um, I've never really been involved in our latest acquisition in the cyber insurance space, and there's one or two others, but pretty much everything my team has had a hand in over the last 13 years. So now we have both sides of Amy. Can you walk us through the background of Guidewire and sort of the company and the product that we all hear about now? Sure. So we had, uh, Guidewire was started by seven founders, and they were seven founders um, from a variety of different backgrounds, Adobe, um, some experience in McKinsey, and a few other places in enterprise software. And they got together and they were looking for kind of open space in the enterprise software market. And that was for a few different reasons. One was that they had experience in enterprise software and felt like the way that most enterprise software companies worked was really kind of a grind. They didn't like how they operated. They didn't like the principles that they operated under. They didn't think they were very customer focused. They weren't very good to their people. And they thought we can do this better. They wanted to choose a space that was still open and underserved. And they found that PNC Insurance, they thought, was really underserved at the time, um, just about 21 years ago. So it's been a while now. Um, and they looked around, thought, you know, we can do this better, and started a small, you know, software startup, just like so many, so many places begin. And they had a clear focus on serving customers, started with a claims product. Um, then moved to billing and policy and just started expanding, you know, what those products do, what they, um, the, the markets that we serve, the countries that we sell in, um, the functionality and the feature functionality over time. But their mission really was about serving the market, serving the customers in the market, but also making Guidewire a place to work that was a place people would want to be over time and a place that people could really build their careers in. And I think if you look at the average tenure at Guidewire compared to a lot of other software companies, they really, they really achieve that. It's, uh, it's really amazing how seriously we still take sort of our core values and we talk about them all the time. 
apparently it's working because it seems like in Canada anyway, the majority of Canadian PNC carriers are moving to Guidewire. So this may be a softball question, uh, but why do you why do you think that is, and how important is the Canadian market to Guidewire the company? So why do you think that is is always a complicated question. I mean, the, the the short answer is that I think we've done a really good job demonstrating success for the carriers that are using Guidewire in Canada. And once you get that kind of success story into a market, um, that that is something that other carriers look at and say, hey, look, if I'm going to make this big decision about a core system, I want to choose one that reduces my risk and gives me the best chance of being successful in my business. And once you start to gain a track record, I think that is how you get the kind of success that we've seen in Canada. The second, you know, the second part of the question in terms of how important is the Canadian market to Guidewire, I would say that it's much more influential in terms of our roadmap, in terms of what we do and how we think about products and um, market trends than maybe it seems like it is from the outside. I would say that our teams are fairly engaged with our customers in Canada in a way that I don't see in other um, jurisdictions. Um, people talk about Canadian insurers all the time. We have really good partnership relationships with a lot of our Canadian insurers. And I think that is important to us because it helps us to make the product better over time. That's great to hear. And sometimes, you know, as Canadians sitting beside the behemoth that is the U.S., sometimes the Canadian voice is, is hard to get heard. So I'm you know, thrilled, to give, especially given that, you know, it seems like at least 50% of the market share of PNC is either on or moving to Guidewire. And uh, so it's glad to hear that it's, it's, so it's important to Canada. It's glad to hear that Canada is important to Guidewire as well. Yep. Absolutely. Now, what is the range of investment carriers pay to implement Guidewire? Like we've seen people, uh, certain farm mutuals come out with what they call Guidewire Light. We've seen people like Wallanisa, Economical. Uh, I guess we call it Guidewire Heavy, where they've hired consultants to implement them. Maybe kind of explain the range or the investment carriers do and the way you see it in your world. We just not only can see what we see as brokers, but maybe explain it from your side of the table. Yeah, so from our side of the table... Anytime you get a carrier implementing a new core system, it's what we um, it's what we call in inside Guidewire is heart surgery, right? You are changing a business critical function in that carrier. Taking claims, writing policies is the lifeblood of that carrier in a way that some other enterprise systems maybe aren't. And so what we see is that range that you described has to do with the appetite of the carrier and the specific business need or business driver our business outcome that the carrier is trying to achieve. And that's a range. We do see carriers sometimes that do that guidewire light or a first initial implementation. Maybe they only do one line of business. Maybe they only do part of the book for claims. Maybe they only do one line of business for policy. And that can be a much smaller implementation. The other thing that we see that leads to that smaller implementation, and when I talk about smaller, I'm talking about 90 to 180 days to go live in some cases. Like it can be really, really fast is where a carrier is getting into a new business. And what does that new business mean? It can be a new, um, you know, it can be a new province, it can be a new product, it can be a new line of business, whatever that is, where they're doing something what we call greenfield. So there's not a bunch of policy history at that carrier to move over. There's not a bunch of active policies. There's not a bunch of claims history and active claims to move over. Those can go really, really fast. And implementing Guidewire as part of that can be part of a growth strategy at a carrier. Um, the larger implementations tend to be a, 
a bigger um, maturity play. So they will typically have an older system that maybe isn't as flexible as they need to be from a business point of view going forward. And so they're really doing more of a rip and replace for a full system. That's more complicated, is a, is a much bigger investment. It can take a much longer time because now I have to think about business continuity and how do we move all of the book of business over kind of midstream, if you will, right? Um, and that's a much bigger project. It, it, Greenfield is is always much faster um, than than moving an existing book of business, no matter how you slice it. Guidewire is not really out of the box. You just don't buy it and plug it in and it, and it works. You have system implementers or system integrators. Um, they're third parties that come in and help with that. So my question is around that. So number one is who are they? Um, and what is it that they're, they're doing specifically? And, and, why are they even needed? Why, why not vertically integrate that and do it yourself? Why are they third, using a third party? Yeah, so one of the principles of Guidewire um, was really initially that we wanted to build a system that would work for all types of insurance, basically in any jurisdiction in the world, right? And if you start with that premise, we really wanted to make the variability um, that is required there possible within the product. That was our first thing that we wanted to do. And then we wanted to um, go through and make things increasingly complete over time. And that's what gets to that out of the box, right? Um, the reason that our um, partnership with our SI partners is so important um, is, is really two things. One is that we rely on them to work with our customers and with us to help understand what those business objectives are. Quite often, that project of replacing the system, especially at a large insurer and one of the one of the non-greenfield projects we're talking about, is a huge change management effort within that insurer as well as a systems change. Right? You think about all the people you need to um, who who you need to train. Um, often that comes with I don't just want everything to work exactly the same way it works today because what's the point of doing that? I need to change some of my processes, make them more efficient, um, make them you know, make make things more repeatable and reliable and consistent. Those are all things that happen during that system transformation. And from a software vendor point of view, our expertise is in the systems themselves. Yes, over the years, we've definitely built up expertise and we can give you best practices in PNC. We can see what works and what doesn't work. But that whole notion of change management is a much broader notion that affects a lot of aspects of the business that aren't just the systems. And, and we rely on our SI programmers to help us not just with the implementation, the actual hands-on keyboards configuration of the systems, doing the integrations, et cetera, but also identifying um, and working with customers to do that change management and really think about what is the process going forward. In some cases, they're consulting with our customers on um, what is the definition of the products they should be selling. You know, there's all kinds of questions that those SI partners get into that are beyond just what is it that they're building into the system itself. So how do carriers and their system integrators seek broker input when they're building it. And I'm sure there's a range of carriers that do it well and some that don't do it at all or do it poorly, but what's what's your perspective? So I think the carriers that do this well are engaged in IBAC, they're going out, they're having, you know, they're, they're doing, um, they're actually going out and talking to their brokers as one of their customers, as one of the, um, as, as one of the stakeholders with you, if you will, in the system change. They think about them as a proper 
sort of persona and when they think about what is the system doing and what are the different persona journeys in the system, those are carriers that do it very well. I think the carriers that maybe don't have as good a relationship with their brokers who aren't necessarily actively seeking their input and their engagement are looking to do something that is kind of, they're, they're more focused just on how do I get data from the broker? How does it get into my system in the least cost way possible from an integration perspective on my side, right? Um, this is where, that's, that's where I think it's not done as well because I don't think in that mindset you're investing as much time in understanding brokers as a stakeholder and as a key player kind of in that insurance ecosystem and how that interoperability happens between the insured, the broker, the carrier. And in fact, we think of it as also including reinsurers and reinsurance brokers as well, because from a carrier perspective, that's important as well. What do you, what do you see when it goes wrong? Like what's what's the downside of what's happening when uh, they're executing poorly there? Yeah, so worst case scenario, and this is absolute worst case scenario, I don't even like to talk about it, but it does happen. We've seen rollout stalled um, because the feedback from the brokers in a particular province um, or in a, for a particular product has been so bad that the carrier just said we can do this, right? We've got to we've got to think about um, we've got to think about a different way to engage with those users. Um, it doesn't happen very often, quite frankly, but it, it occasionally happens. That can be for a variety of different reasons. The UI can be so bad. Performance sometimes is an issue. Um, product design can sometimes be an issue. We've even had it happen, and this is not a system problem. We've had it happen because of the way that they may have changed underwriting rules um, or rating, things like that, so that the process itself just wasn't working for people who are coming into the system to sell insurance, to, you know, to place business. So that's worst case. Doesn't happen very often. It can. Um, can be a system problem, can be a process problem. Um, but yeah, that's worst case. Hey, just a quick question, just to clarify for our listeners, uh, when you say SI, you mean system integrator, correct? That's kind of slang. Correct. So yeah. some of people are driving down the road. I don't want anybody to pull out their phone and Google it while listening to it to figure out what's an SI. You know, we have lots of acronyms in insurance, and uh, not all our listeners are as tech savvy uh, as other listeners. So I just want to make sure they understand that. And in, in, in Canada, there's E&I, Ernest & Young, Deloitte. Those are the big ones we're aware of. Are there other e, uh, SIs that you use or? Yeah, so EY, um, EY, Deloitte, uh, PwC is another one that we work with. Gemini is another one that we work with. But there are a whole bunch more. Um, so you can actually find a full list of SI partners that are um, that have certified um, certified technical resources on the website. Um, there are there are probably a half a dozen additional ones as well. So we have a lot of consulting partners um, that are trained in Guidewire, trained in um, products and implementations. And um, you can find ones that have specific skill sets um, that, that align with what each carrier needs at that point for their business. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of smaller organizations as well that may have a specialization that works particularly well for um, a, you know, a, a carrier in a given situation. Amy. We like to talk a lot about the newer technology like you know api connectivity you know ro robotic process automation that kind of stuff but there's a lot of established technology that guidewire supports for the canadian pnc channel like edi and uh, edocs and i will say that uh, we have seen some carriers implement that relatively poorly um, there's one example steve shared with me a month ago or so that made extensive use in, in EDI, made extensive use of so-called Z codes, which are the custom, you know, a non-standard 
codes when clearly that uh, those fields should have gone into a standard, you know, one of the proper standard parts of the EDI file. Um, so it's, you know, anyway, um, so we see that happening. Why, why, why does that happen in your opinion? Um, and, you know, second part of that, you know, what's, what's, can, is there something guidewire the company can do to sort of better support carriers to implement that stuff in a more standards friendly way? Yeah, so why does that happen? There are all kinds of reasons why that happens. Um, I, I think some of it can be um, not just related to Guidewire itself, but related to the rest of the IT portfolio in a particular carrier. Sometimes those integrations are not just about sending the information to Guidewire, but downstream systems and, 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 or maybe they're implementing Guidewire, but they're not moving all of their policies over. And sometimes in that landscape, people make interesting design choices um, that tactically make sense in terms of getting the implementation done, but don't really make sense when you take a step back and you think about what is it that we're trying to accomplish here, right? And I think that's an example where I would say that can be the kind of thing that happens, right? Where maybe it's fine for the mapping to Guidewire, but it's not fine for the mapping to something else. So all that stuff ends up in a wonky spot, right? so that they have some flexibility in how they use it somewhere else in the system, right? Um, that can happen. You can have people who uh, who just maybe are trying to take a shortcut and maybe it, they think it's gonna be a little bit quicker to do something that way. Um, sometimes that's true, sometimes it not, it's not. It rarely ends up being faster in the end because you end up doing a lot of like, having a lot of issues in the integration, right? Um, so those are some of the things that we've seen. We do occasionally have carriers where Guidewire says, you should do it this way. And they say, great, thank you very much. We're gonna do it this way. And we go, I, I can't make you do it this way, but I would really recommend doing it this way. And they go, thanks for your observation, but that's not gonna work for us. We're gonna stick with what we said originally. And so sometimes that happens despite our best efforts, right? Um, even in the product where maybe we've made it easy to do it one way, um, somebody kind of insists on doing it another way for some reason. Um, so that, that can be one, that, I think that's a lot of what happens. In terms of what we can do um, to, make that, to make that better, we have a lot more levels on cloud than we ever had in self-managed. Um, because in cloud, we can make things much easier and we can see more about what customers are doing. Um, it's much easier for us to guide implementations to be more standardized um, and to follow best practices um, in a much more granular way than we ever have been able to. So Amy, back to the system integrators again. Um, why do you think they haven't, like every quote unquote portal that comes along with, with a Guidewire implementation, a lot of them look very, very different. So why not just have, why don't the integrators develop a, a common, a common plugin or, or, or common experience, I'll call it for the broker channel so that we can create consi consistency because inconsistencies are the things that really create fr friction. Um, where we've seen, I mean, our experience as brokers generally has been that the give a shit factor about friction on the broker side of the equation and the experience when Guidewire is implemented is quite low, whether that's by the system integrators or the insurers themselves. How do we change that? Yeah, so it's interesting because I, I don't think we see that same sort of low give a shit factor from, uh, from the carriers on our side, right? Often 
Um, what we call it is we actually call it a pro producer portal. Um, a producer is a, is a more generic term in the industry worldwide. Brokers, the definition of what a broker is, is actually slightly different in Canada and the US and, and other places. So we use it at the term producer. It's basically anybody who's placing business at a carrier. Right? So we actually provide one out of the box producer portal that has a standard flow and a standard set of fields and a standard, you know, whatever it is. The changes and the variations that you see are really about carriers either um, configuring that for their band, configuring that because they think the experience is better, or configuring that for a particular um, underwriting or risk assessment flow that, that they wanna do. It has very little to do with like what we provide out of the box, which is you know, a, single producer, um, a single producer portal. Um, so so that's, that's one of the reasons that we're looking at how do we go to the brokers, look at the big brokerages, figure out what connectivity, what flows make sense, and then address that. The other thing to keep in mind is that a portal, well, is, is often sort of the one thing that you know every broker can access because all they need is a, a browser, right? Um, assuming they have a browser and they're not running facts. Um, so that's often the other the other issue there is that they're trying to reach maybe some of the smaller brokers and place business more widely. So it becomes the one thing that they know will work all the time. And the idea of embedding that into you know various broker management systems and various other experiences gets a little bit more complicated. So if we could come up with a way to say to get the brokers themselves and the BMS systems kind of to say this is where it goes, this is what it looks like, then we'd be able to crack this. But to have that integration be consistent, we really need both sides um, actively in there. And I, I, I you know, I honestly um, am not sure why, especially in Canada, that hasn't happened more quickly. It's an interesting conundrum. I don't know if there's a, um, if there's sort of a a perception of a differentiation angle or something else where they really want you to know like whose insurance company you're working with as well. So one of the lines or perceptions we hear in the industry is with the difficulty or cost around APIs. And as of late, we've started hearing some really smart people and one lady in particular who had the line about the cost of APIs versus portals. And the word got out to this group that, uh, Portals actually cost more money to build than an API suite. Is this true? And what's your thinking? Sure, because the portal, the APIs. So to build a portal, you actually have to have a suite of APIs sitting below it. So you've already done, like I have the APIs, right? Now what I have to do is build an experience on top of that, right? So just by nature, there's an extra component there, right? Um, the problem is, what's the other side of that? And who on the other side is going to call the APIs, right? So the reason you end up getting the portals is if I'm a carrier and I can't be assured that every broker is going to do the work to call my APIs, that's a problem, right? Because now I can't, because now I'm limited in how I can sell to the ones that are willing to do the work to figure out how to make their systems call the APIs. Absolutely. Now, what is the cost and difficulty lift if you've already had to build the API to serve the portal? to make that API consumable to the percentage of uh, factors. So you had another line earlier on that a 
a small minority of brokers have the majority of volume in in uh, Australia. In a lot of markets, and, yeah, it's not. It's probably not just Australia. Sure, but in Australia we often mark as ten years ahead of uh, Canada and the UK. You know, some mark similar to that, and you know, a lot of North America. So, if that's the way it's going, and surely those brokers with that size of market share can afford a little bit of development cost, that going to the piece. Had this thing been scoped from the beginning or even now, is it that much of a cost to be able to expose your APIs to the people that can consume them? Not to say you may not need a portal for the rest of your distribution. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, there is some incremental cost. Um, there's some there's some technical stuff around that in terms of how you secure the APIs. Um, there's some debate about whether you use exactly the same API signatures, et cetera, et cetera. But fundamentally, yes, there is some cost. I would say the bigger issue is really in figuring out what the common set of those APIs should be, which again, it's a little, like every time I have this discussion with anybody in the guideware, with you guys, with you know anybody, it's everybody kind of goes, yeah, I don't know why we're not doing this more seamlessly, right? Um, so I don't have a great answer for you, quite frankly, right? Um, especially in Canada, but I, you know, I think cracking that piece on the broker side you know, my perception is it's been seen as more difficult than maybe it should be, I guess, is, is the best thing I can say. Um, so not that it actually is difficult, but it's been perceived that way, right? How do we demystify it? Like, how do we put some sort of costing framework around how big of a lift is this? Is this $100 million? Are we talking you know, 10 hours and Steve in a shed or what, where, where are we in between that? It's definitely somewhere between those two. So more than 10 hours and Steve in a shed and, you know, probably less than a hundred million dollars. Right? We don't know how much Steve cost though. Like, I mean, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what advice would you give to brokers who, you know, hear from their BD rep that, oh, you know, Carrier XYZ, who you've got a ton of business with is moving to Guidewire. What, what should they be doing and thinking? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing is reach out to the carrier and just say, hey, I've heard you're doing the systems transformation. I want to talk about what that means, right? And I think reaching out and saying, hey, look, you know, it's always nice to butter people up, but you don't have to say this. Like, you know, you've been great to do business with so far, and we just want to make sure that we're a stakeholder in this transformation so that we can continue to do that going forward, right? Um, I think that kind of proactive reaching out, um, if you're not already hearing from the carrier, um, to be part of a stakeholder forum or reviewing requirements or, you know, whatever it is, like be proactive, reach out. Sometimes, sometimes it's not because people don't want to talk to you. It just, you know, they get busy or whatever. And sometimes it is just, if you express interest, they're more than happy to have the conversation and it can have more of an impact than you think, especially if you're proactive. Sometimes that's better feedback um, because you know it's someone who's engaged in the problem, who's interested in it, and then we'll think about it and, th and partner with you on it actively. Um, so that's the first thing I would do is reach out to the carrier, say, hey, is this changing anything for us? What do you think it is? Can we use the CZO standard? Like, what is it that that you guys are thinking? Um, and get and make your voice heard to the carrier if it's not being, if it isn't already. Yeah, that's great. And I'll add to that a little bit and just to give brokers who want to pick up the phone and call their carriers. I'd say, you know, to me, you need to be thinking about how does this implementation of Guidewire help, you know, my expense ratio as a broker? How does it help me attract or retain staff? And how does it help me attract and retain clients? Right? Like what, 
it's you know great you're putting in a system that's going to help you know from an underwriting perspective and probably you know help the claims expense ratio from a carrier's perspective but how are my stakeholders being impacted and you'll know, put that challenge out there have that conversation with the carrier because there's incredible things that that the carriers can do with you know 21st century technology and you, you've got to be asking the right questions and have the right mindset towards actually doing it that way i think it's interesting that they're you talked about differentiation and the, and the fear by insurers that they they want to do things their own way uh they want their their interface or their portal or whatever to look different because they they fear they're going to lose some sort of competitive advantage secret sauce some juice that they have whatever it is but it it feels like none of them are really thinking about the broker's ease of doing business as one of the biggest competitive advantages and sorting this sort of thing out so it's it's really really nice that amy like that iBack Tech, uh, we're talking to each other now with Guidewire. And because on our initial discussion there, th I think that there were a ton of things that uh, you had indicated, well, this is the first time I've heard this and we're not hearing that from our carriers. Um, so it's, I think we need to continue to develop the rela relationship direct between the broker channel and Guidewire uh, for several reasons. And, and one of them being just to be able to educate us and being able to call bullshit on on some of this some of these excuses and things that we're told can't can't be done or cost too much to be done or are impossible like that biggest one like the the cost of APIs is way less than actually implementing a portal that that floored us when we heard that yeah now that's i mean that's just a purely technical cost right like if you get if you if you've already you know i'm building APIs and a portal versus i'm just building APIs um there can be a few caveats there if they're trying to build APIs to multiple systems, right? If they're if they're going to three different backend policy systems, bets are off, right? I can't. All I can speak to is from a guidewire perspective, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like if we can get the broker management systems aligned with this, that's where we really can make the magic happen, right? Um, I don't what we've seen in the market is that it doesn't make sense for each individual broker to pay to do this custom integration to each of the carriers that they work with at their BMS. Like that, that's a non, that seems like a non-starter to me. Um, and so that's, I think, put an, a bit of an artificial damper on, on those discussions um, going forward. But that's, that's one of the things that, that we've seen as well. Now, ironically, there are a couple of, you know, large, large brokerages who are doing their own, their own thing. Yeah, uh, as a as a, in terms of connecting to carriers with Guidewire because because they're not getting what they need from you know from the from the regular market so to speak right so but coming at your point about you know the again the vendors involved well there's essentially four uh, BMS vendors in Canada and then there's a you know a small handful of sort of ancillary products so it's not like there's hundreds of companies out there there's you know four core ones and there are another five or six or whatever sort of ancillary ones this is a super manageable number and I'm, sh I'm sure that you guys could work with them you know were they to reach out and say hey we want to integrate with your apis or figure out how to do edi better or whatever it happens to be yeah and it's a it's a part of the market that i don't think initially guidewire was really focused on um and that will change um with michael howe from applied coming on board things like that like we've got much more focus on that kind of um, I don't want to call it distribution. I want to call it like the friction between the various parties in that in that chain. Um, definitely BMS vendors are part of that. Definitely brokers are part of that. Definitely carriers are part of that. We're part of that. Um, but that but that whole kind of value chain and looking at what we can do to smooth things out, um, something we're really, really, really interested in. And certainly part of its connectivity, 
um, you need to get rates faster, um, things like that as well. There's, it's, it's not, it's not one silver bullet, but there are definitely things that we can do to make it much better. Uh, so thanks to IFS Premium Finance for sponsoring the show. Without them, this would not be possible. And also shout out to the Excalibur Read to Ride program, our charity sponsor. Steve's got the book uh, on his desk right behind him. Apparently he hasn't read it yet because it is for, you know, eight to 12 year olds. Um, so he has to skill up a little bit before he, before he cracks <laughs> that book open. <laughs> and uh, Amy, I'm going to let you uh, take us to a close here. Maybe just give us uh, 30 seconds or a minute or whatever. And what's, what's, what's the next big thing down the road for Guidewire? Yeah, so there's a couple big things that we're looking at. One is, interestingly enough, exactly what we were talking about today. So how do we make it easier for that interaction between brokers and carriers and actually carriers and their reinsurers as well? Because they can only place so much business without going back to the reinsurers, right? So that's an important piece. That's a big thing for us going forward. Um, the other big thing for us is looking at analytics. And I'm going to say that a little bit carefully. We all know that Gen AI is kind of the... The, the big thing right now that is on the tip of everybody's tongue and what are you doing with Gen AI? And that certainly has sparked a lot of interest and we're, we're doing some work internally at Guidewire to see what we can do to take advantage of that. But it's really interesting more than anything else, we've seen that spark a lot of conversations on how we collectively in the insurance industry can use analytics um, more effectively. And it's interesting, a lot of those conversations don't end up needing Gen AI. They can use other kinds of analytics techniques, but I think that's another thing that you'll see um, as a big trend in the industry. We keep saying that, I know, um, but this one I think has gotten it into sort of everybody's heads that it's a real tangible thing. They can now go to chat GPT and type stuff in and have it work for them. So um, that's made it more real for a lot of people. Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you very much on behalf of the crew. I appreciate your your uh, time and, and all of the um, great insight that you've brought to us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers.